All right, that's enough chitter chatter. Good morning. Is anybody hot in here? Or is it just my presence? That's right. Um, easy, Ralph. Um, I, uh, you know, I have to say I watched uh, our rhythm section today uh, back there, the drums and bass. And I don't know if y'all where you sit can see them um, all the time, but I love watching the, the differences in how they worship. That Jordan is like a Muppet. Jordan's on the drums. He's just bouncing around, doing this, smiling. It's awesome. And Ralph is the refined white man over bite. You know, he's just kind of doing this. He stays in his zone. I like it. Um, I love watching you too. So uh, would you give our worship team a, a, th a thank you for what they do? They spend a lot of time up here and, and, um, and energy, not just up here, but uh, elsewhere rehearsing and, and planning and, and, and leading us through worship. And I love, uh, I love what they do. So thank you for that. So we are in the second part, uh, the second Sunday of our summer sermon series. Um, and what we do every summer here is we kind of take a group of people or we take kind of a theme and we walk through it. A couple of years ago we did hero, villains, then we did heroes or vice versa. And, and this year we're doing the ladies, uh, 12 extraordinary women of scripture. So you are not going to be mentioned, okay, unless you're in the Bible uh, and then maybe we'll get to you. Uh, but uh, 12 extraordinary women and, and groups of women. Next week's going to be a group of, of ladies. But, um, and, and I love this. I love when we do this kind of. I love that we've kind of fallen into this rhythm over the past few summers because I like zeroing in on a group because it gets the mentality and the same thing, but it's so different. Um, and, and you get to see what that person's story, what, they, what either they say or what is said about them and how those things can shape and inform our lives. And so, and so today we get to the second of our ladies. Last week, if you were here, we started at the very beginning, which is where you should start a series like this. We started with the mother of all living, um, with Eve. And it was, uh, it's a great place to start. And, you know, it's like the only, only smart place to start, really, is start with Eve because from her, everything else, everything else happens. And, and if you remember it, with Eve, the story of Eve, she goes to the fruit, she's to the fruit, and then, and then God gets a little upset. And, and, and he curses, he has three curses that he lays out. But to the serpent, if you remember the end of the curse that he does to the serpent, he says, and her seed will crush your head. See, what God is doing is he's starting this story. He's going, hey, here's what's going to happen for the rest of the story. He begins it right there. And then, and then stuff happens. There's a lot of life that happens in between Eve and who we will speak about today. You have immediately Cain and Abel and things don't go well there, right? Because sin has entered into, uh, into existence and, and they've been scooted out of the garden, you have murder and you have rape and you have death and you have, you have all these horrible things that come in to play. You go through Cain and Abel, then you get to a, a point where people have gotten so off the rails that God's like, you know what? I'm just gonna hold the reset button down for about 10 seconds and start again, right? We have the flood accounts where, where God just goes reboot um, and brings everything back and everything's good for just a brief moment. And, and then you have all these people gathering together and going, you know what? I think if we put our heads together, we could build a tower high enough to where we could reach God. And they have this tower of Babel as we know it. And, and God is like, no, homie, don't play that. You know, it's, 
some of you, some certain age will get that reference, but you know, and he slaps them down and, and he scatters them and he disperses them to different areas and he causes them to speak in different languages so that they cannot come together. And so consequently what you have when, when Sarah comes onto the scene is you have a world that has been dispersed by God that speaks different languages and because of it has their own cultures, their own customs, and their own gods. Throughout the land now, you have multiple different gods and people worshiping gods in different ways and, and different theories about who God is. Very little at this time do you hear of Yahweh. In fact, very, very little. There is a re there's reference, the, the story of Abraham and Sarah takes place about the same time as the story of, of Job. And there is a reference that Job understands who Yahweh is, but jo Job lives in a different area. In the area where, where Abraham and Sarah live, nobody talks of who Yahweh is. And so we come to chapter 11 of Genesis, and we begin the story of Abraham, and more importantly, Sarah. I will tell you this, as I have been saying when we've walked into the series that female is the future, female was not the past, certainly, because the commentaries on these scriptures, all written by men, focus primarily on Abraham. Very little is actually written about Sarah, even though Sarah plays a hugely important role in everything that's about to happen. But you have this, this moment in Eve where God sets out the picture of the rest of the story and you have through Sarah the mechanism by which he will do this. So Abraham and Sarah grow up in a town called Ur. And um, you know, when they were naming cities, somebody went to this guy and goes, hey, what are we gonna call this city? And the guy goes, Ur. He was like, great, Ur, wrote it down. It was different in Hebrew. Um, and, and so they, they start this, the, the city of Ur, and, and the city of Ur is on a port. It's a, a, the port right by um, the Euphrates River, and so trade comes and goes. It's a huge city. A lot of estimates say that the time of Abraham and Sarah, it was the largest city in the world. So it was a huge city with all the major modern conveniences of a city of that time. There are multiple temples and, and multiple gods that they were worshipped. They were just pri worshipped primarily the moon god there in Ur. But it was a highly sophisticated city and highly pagan oriented. And this is the shadow in, in the life that Abraham and Sarah grow up in. This is what they know. This is who they are. And then, and then God steps in. See, God steps in first through Abraham's father. And he causes him to take his family for unknown reasons and move from the city of Ur. And he's like, hey, we're going to start heading this way. And, and then they get stalled out in the mountains and, and eventually they, his father dies. And, and it's at this point where God shows up to Abraham. And he says this in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, who's Abram at this point, God changes his name to Abraham later. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So right here, you have the mechanism by which God is going to bring salvation into the world. You have the promise with Eve, and now you have, okay, this is how it's gonna go down. It's going to go down through the family of Abraham. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a moment. Abraham doesn't know who Yahweh is. Abraham's grown up in a pagan world, pagan society, pagan culture, and he all of a sudden has this encounter with a God, and God goes, Hey, here's the deal. I'm gonna make you famous. Everybody who blesses you is gonna bless. Who doesn't wanna hear that, right? We'll make you famous, you know. Isn't that Matthew McConaughey's statement somewhere in there? He's just gonna, you know, he's gonna, everything you wanna hear, God's like, man, this is gonna be you. All nations on the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Okay, now, now put yourself in Sarah's shoes. Abraham comes home from work. Walks in from the fields. Hey, honey, how was your day? Oh, Sarah, it was amazing. This God named Yahweh shows up to me and he tells me I'm gonna be famous and the entire nations of the world will be blessed because of me. We just have to move to a land that I've never seen before. Right? What would you think if your spouse came home from work one day and said, all right, sit down. I have something to tell you, all right? It, it's like almost 20 years ago, um, I had known this girl less than a year and, and we were engaged to be married. And I said, okay, honey, here's, here's what's gonna happen. When we get married, we're gonna move to Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, totally, right? Like, what? We're in Oklahoma. Do people really live there? Yeah, we're gonna move to Norman. Yeah, I'm gonna leave my teaching job. I'm gonna take you from a place that you have grown up that you, except for the four years you spent in Waco, you have been here. Your entire family, everybody's here. Your roots run deep in this hood. Let's go to Norman. Because God said, let's, let's go and let's do this. Right, you're like, no. But, but this, is, this is what happened in, in, in our story. We, we get married and, and, and then we go on our honeymoon and we don't come back here. We go from our honeymoon to Norman and we move into our small little apartment that was close to campus and I started a job in sales and, and she started a job teaching. We were taken out of the comfort of what we knew and we were placed into the wilderness as I call it. It's our time in the wilderness. God uses the wilderness to shape us, right? And he put us there, this couple who had known each other very sh under, uh, under a year when, when we got married. And he plopped us down in a city where we knew zero people. We walk in having no relationships with anyone, starting these new lives together. But we had faith that God was moving. We had trust that we weren't just stepping out in crazy, weird ways. Even so, most every night about a month in, when we're sitting around our table for dinner, towards the end of dinner, Jenna would start to cry and like sob. And like, I can't believe I'm here. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is how, is this what marriage really is? Some of you are like, yes. Right, and, and so we go through this whole ritual and I'd be like, okay, come here, you know, and, and we'd sit and I'd hug her and, and we'd talk about it and, and, and then it was just, we, we would work through it and 
that didn't last for long, but it was, it was the, those moments of, holy cow, what did we just do? We left everything. And then some weird dude, Brandon Clementson, shows up on our door. Why are you here? He's like, I go here. Who are you? But God moves in mysterious ways. God moves in, in these interesting, interesting ways. And for Abraham and Sarah, what he says is, I'm going to move you out of your, everything that you know to a land that you've never seen, and I'm going to make you great. You know who he didn't tell the promise to? Sarah. He told it to Abraham. She wasn't there. But Abraham goes home and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And what did Sarah do? She believed. She had faith. In fact, it says she believes that it's going to happen. But at this time, she's 65 years old. He's 75 years old. And she's like, whoa, wait a minute. How is this? I can't have kids. We've been trying for the 50 years of our, 50 something years of our marriage. I'm barren. What do you mean from us? Because she's like, it's just he and I. This is going to happen. But you're God. So, okay. And they go. And they move and they begin their lives as nomads. These city folk who had spent their entire life in this bit in the biggest city of the world with all the things that happened, they move out into Cana and they move from place to place. They'd never really settle down after that. And they experience all these different things and, and God comes back to Abraham multiple times and says, hey, remember the promise I gave you. Remember the, see the sand right here? Pick the sand up. Can you count the grains of sand right there? No, 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 you can't. And that is just how I will, your descendants will be. Another time he comes, he goes, see the stars in heaven? Count the number of stars. You can't count them. That is what your descendants will be like. There will be so many that come from you. And every time Abraham would go home and he would tell Sarah, man, this is gonna be awesome. And Sarah's like, yeah, I'm 75 now. Like my childbearing days is done. And then she, and then she doubts, right? And then after all this time, they've been for, for 15 years believing this thing. But all of a sudden she's looking at herself and going, looking at the promises of God and saying, well, if it's gonna come from somewhere, certainly must not be coming from me. So she pulls in Hagar, Hagar. And she brings in her maidservant, her, her indentured servant, essentially. And she says, I own you, and so everything you have is mine anyway. And so I'm going to give you to my husband so that he can have an heir and that this prophecy can be fulfilled. And so she sends him off, and Abraham takes a little convincing. And he has a George Costanza moment a little bit later. Anybody, if I had known that this was frowned on in this establishment... Right? Because he has relations with the cleaning lady, essentially. And God comes back and says, what are you doing? This isn't how it was supposed to be. But she bears him a son, Ishmael. And Ishmael is dear to Abraham's heart. Why? Because he's his firstborn. At this time, he's in his late 80s. And he finally has a son. He finally has someone to pass everything on to. And he loves him. But God says, but this isn't who we're going to work through. 
And Abraham says, well, I need to ensure that he's with you for his life. And God says, no problem. But we're going to do this a different way. And so 13 more years pass. 13 more years. Sarah is now 89. He's 99. And God comes to visit them in their tent. And they sit down and they have a meal together and Sarah cooks this meal and then she goes and she stands outside the main room. But the Lord says this, where's Sarah, your wife? Abraham says, she's inside the tent, meaning she's right next door to us. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was listening. See, this is the first time Sarah's heard it for herself, straight from God. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out old woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And then he drops these words. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for me? Think of Sarah's position though, right? Sarah's heard this promise for 25 years from her husband. But God has said this, God has said this, God has said this, and so she has become a part of that promise because it is from her that that child will be born. And yet, years of scientific and reality explain that she can't have children. And she's 89. And here come these people out of the desert and say, this time next year, I'll be back. And Sarah will have a boy. I mean, what would you do? A lot of times people get down on Sarah for laughing and doubting at this moment. Dude, I'm totally with Sarah on this. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. I'm almost 90. Can you imagine? I don't know. Anybody close to 90 in here? At the 9.30, we had a few that were ladies that were right there. Anybody close to that? Anybody in their 60s, 70s? Do you want to have a baby right now? No, I'm 45. I don't want another child. Uh, you know, I mean, holy cow. And she's 89. And, and I, like, I'd be laughing too. And see, so what Sarah has done is Sarah has gone from this thing where she immediately believes and accepts and has faith and has hope in what's to come to waiting and waiting and waiting and being disappointed and being disappointed and being disappointed to saying, you know what? I'm gonna take matters into my own hands because apparently God needs a little assistance in this. Anybody ever said that? And so she brings Hagar into the picture. That doesn't go so well. And so she sent off for another 13 years of waiting and waiting and waiting. And by the time you're 89, you're probably thinking, this isn't gonna happen. I'd hoped and I'd believed, but man, but then this guy shows up at your tent and he says, and this time next year, I'm gonna give you a child. And then he hears your thoughts. How come she's thinking that she can't have one? Is anything too difficult for me? Think of what happens to your faith at that moment. Now the next year for them is pretty extensive and it's pretty hard. They go through the whole Sodom and Gomorrah episode. 
There's a lot going on in that year of pregnancy. But then at the same time, the time that God said would happen, this guy shows up again. Sarah gives birth. And they name him Isaac. So I, I don't know if you're like me, but I have moments where I step into my faith hardcore and I'm like, yes, nothing is too big for the power of God. Tell me to walk on that water, I will do it right now. And then there are other times, probably more frequently than I would like, where I'm like, God, I thought we were gonna do this. I thought you said that this was the way I was supposed to walk. I thought you said that this was gonna happen. Anytime you're ready there, big fella. Or, or, maybe, or maybe I need to start doing something. And maybe, have you ever invented verses in your head? God helps those who help themselves? It's not a verse. Right, and we, and we start taking control of our stuff because maybe that little bit of doubt starts, starts to creep in and then it starts to expand. And, and, and then you get into a place where you're like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna go to church every, every Sunday this month. Man, I, I'm gonna give more, I'm gonna serve more, I'm gonna join the choir, I'm gonna start praying, I'm gonna start fasting because that's gonna make God do what I want him to do. You ever been that? You, you try to back yourself into a plan that God has, like, okay, if I can control it this amount in this way, then it will happen. Like, I, I remember um, when, when Grace was born and all the stuff that has gone on since and all the things in her 13 years that have gone on, there have been multiple times where I've stood back and I said, God's got this, amen, we got this. The last time we went to Scottish Rite and the doctor said, hips never come back and grow back themselves. And I'm like, yeah, you apparently don't know God. You know, I know a better doctor than you. His name is Jesus. And he can make those hips grow. And I'm thinking that in my head, but as I'm walking out, I'm like, but he's not. We're gonna have to go through this surgery and it's gonna stink and it's gonna be horrible and it's gonna be so hard on us. And there's those other times where I'm like, hey God, if I just, can I fast a little bit and then we'll make it happen? What if I'm not praying enough? Do I need to step into these other areas so that you can then move in this? See, those are those nights when we're sitting by the table around having dinner and, and I just start bawling. Because I heard the promise from God and now I'm in that transition of waiting. And waiting's hard. Waiting on the proper time for God to move is hard because God could have moved at the beginning of Abraham and Sarah's relationship. He could have moved when they were young, when she was in her 20s and her 30s and brought a healthy child out right then, but anyone can have a baby then. But to have a baby at the age of 90, come on. That's God moving. And so he builds our strength of faith in those moments when we wait. Paul brings this out and, and he talks about, uh, in, in Galatians, he, he's telling the people there and, and they're really dealing with works versus grace and, and the law over, over the freedom of salvation. And, and so he folds all of this, the story of Hagar and, and, and Sarah into this and he's like, look, Hagar essentially is following the law 
It's taking matters into your own hands and thinking you can do and act out the promises of God. Sarah, Sarah is just believing. Sarah is the freedom of grace. When Jenna was pregnant with Grace, there is no way at the age of 27 when we got married that I would have believed that I would have the strength or quite honestly the personality to handle a child with special needs. There is no way that if you told me when I was younger that, that I thought I would be the type of person that would do the things that I do with a child today. But when Jenna was pregnant with Grace, God whispered in my ear and he said, she's going to be different. I knew before Grace was born that she would be different. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I, I, I just knew that God, God goes, look, get ready, but I'm with you. This is gonna hurt, but I'll never leave your side. You are going to think that this is impossible, but with me, all things are possible. You are going to think that you don't have enough, but I will supply all of your needs. You are going to think that this isn't fair, but in my plan and picture, this is more beautiful than you could ever imagine. This is the story of Sarah. Sarah is the story of God laying out something before us. This is when he begins to put into motion what would happen on the cross. From Abraham's line comes Christ. God sets the promise in motion with Eve, but he makes this covenant with Abraham and Jesus fulfills it at the Last Supper. Have you ever been in a place where you've doubted, you've struggled, maybe even You've tried to work your way into faith. Have you ever been in that season where, where you feel like God has told you something or given you a path and, and it just hasn't happened? And you have that, that place of, of waiting and anguish. Do you need to hear the stories of Sarah one more time? because Sarah's story ends quickly after this. But then in the New Testament, she comes up again a couple of times. And one of those places is in the book of Hebrews where the writer declares her as one of the giants of faith because she believed in him who promised. Wherever you are on that journey right now, faith, of questioning, of doubt. Believe in the one who promised that grace is yours, that freedom is yours, that forgiveness and mercy and love are yours. It is his table that we come to this morning. The table that was paid for by blood and suffering resulted in death. It's around that table that he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. 
And then after supper, he took the cup and he blessed God for it. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, fulfilling the old and beginning the new. All who drink this, all who receive this gift are given eternal life. And so we come acknowledging that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the body and blood of Christ. And that as we consume this, we become holy and living sacrifices, proclaiming the mystery of faith to a world who needs to hear that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If you are assisting with communion, if you would come forward at this time, the rest of you, if you would continue in an attitude of prayer.